Make sure you are following those exactly. Too little of a specific additive can actually make the recipe unsafe. It doesn't matter if your grandma always canned green beans by adding a pinch of salt and she canned them in a water bath canner and nobody ever got sick. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I wanna pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Focal Point Friday, I'm going to talk about preserving the harvest. And this will be part one about preserving your harvest because there are multiple ways of doing this and it's way too much to throw into one episode. So I'm going to break it up. Um, So we're going to introduce the idea of preserving the harvest. And I know for some of you, it is still very early in the season and you actually haven't started harvesting anything, Um, but it's never too early to be thinking about these things. But first, I do want to introduce you to a new way to support this podcast. I have started a Patreon page. So what is Patreon? Um, It's a way to support this podcast and my work on a monthly basis without having to make a purchase from any of the sponsors. So if you're not a coffee drinker or you have no interest in starting your own podcast or any of those things, um, this is a way for you to support what I'm doing. Even though this podcast is a labor of love, this love costs real money. (laughs) And so even though the Anchor platform is free, um, the hosting and the equipment, um, and not to mention the time away from my farm activities, actually does cost something. So through our Patreon page, you can become a patron of this podcast in the way that public television has patrons that support what they do. And so there are six different levels starting at just $5 a month. If you dig what's going on around here and you would like to hear more, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something. And it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash just grow something to find out how you can support this show and what bonuses you get in return. Because yes, I'm throwing in some sweet stuff for my monthly patrons. Any patron money I get will not only go towards the current podcast expenses, but will also enable me to start bringing in guests to interview, buy garden tools to review for you so we know what's junk and what's worth investing in and so much more. So I will post the link to the Patreon page in the show notes. So go ahead and check that out. Now let's dig into preserving your harvest. So right now where we are, uh, again, zone 6A, West Central Missouri, we are harvesting mostly leafy greens at this point. We're slightly behind because of all the cool temperatures and the tons of rain. We got another two and a half inches, I think, today. 
Um, but we're still harvesting stuff. It's mostly leafy greens. I've got a lot of bok choy, and we've just started with the first of the rainbow shard, uh, kale, lots of different lettuces, green onions, spring onions. That's mostly what's coming out of the ground, but it won't be too far from now before we start harvesting things like cucumbers and zucchini, the sweet peas and the sugar, uh, the uh, snow peas. For a beginning gardener, I recommend choosing your favorites and attempting to preserve those for the first time. Essentially, you you need to choose what you want to preserve and then decide how you want to preserve it. This is absolutely a learning process that you will go through over the years. I can tell you from the very first time that I started saving things from the garden, it has evolved. Uh, our tastes have changed, or maybe not so much our tastes have changed, but maybe it is I discovered what our tastes were and the things that we liked preserved and how we liked them preserved um, and the things that we just really prefer fresh and we don't eat if they've been canned or frozen or dehydrated. So things that we really like, like we preserve a lot of tomatoes, usually in the form of stewed tomatoes, um, green beans, zucchini, sweet corn, beets. Uh, really, it's in the form of pickled beets because I love pickled beets. Um, some of these things we like canned. Some of them we prefer frozen. Um, I do a lot of my herbs dried. Some of the items that we do, I actually, because of the time frame and the time involved or the time of the season, I may freeze them first in order to can them later. So for instance, right now, if we get an influx of strawberries, I may go ahead and freeze those strawberries and then turn around and make jam out of them later because I likely may not have enough time at this moment to make a bunch of jam out of them. Um, or when the, like the tomatoes start coming in, I said, I do stewed tomatoes. And the reason I do stewed tomatoes is because they're more versatile for me that way. The stewed tomatoes include onions and bell peppers and some garlic and some other things that I can just toss as is into soups and stews. But if I want tomato sauce, I can also open up a can or two of those and I can cook them down on the stove in the winter when I have time to cook them down on the stove, because right now I very well may not have time to do that. I mentioned green beans and we absolutely prefer them to be canned. I do not like frozen green beans. My family does not like frozen green beans. So we prefer to can those, but there are other things that we absolutely will freeze rather than can. So those things have come about over the years. It's, it's taken, I mean, gosh, we've been doing this for, you know, 16, 17 years now. Um, it's taken that long, you know, for us to figure out, okay, we like these things canned. We like these things frozen. We're experimenting with these things dehydrated. So it's not going to be, you know, all at once you suddenly decide, oh, I'm going to do all of this. No, no, <laughs> because don't underestimate how much effort it takes to do these things. So 
the first thing is you just need to plan for it. It's important not to plan too much the first time that you decide that you're going to start preserving what it is that you're pulling out of the garden. It can be time consuming and too much at once can absolutely be overwhelming. So pick one or two things that you use the most and then start with the simplest method of preserving. Don't decide that you are going to preserve all of the extra stuff that comes out of your garden because you will very quickly, very quickly get overwhelmed. So there are a ton of different types of preserving. Um, Water bath canning, pressure canning, freezing, dehydrating, and then just regular old refrigeration or cold storage, uh, the traditional type of cold storage that you usually see for root vegetables. So in this episode, I'm going to go into the two most straightforward methods that are relatively simple and don't require much in the way of specialized equipment, and that is freezing and water bath canning. And I'll start with freezing because you really don't need any specialized equipment And it's the most economical way to preserve your harvest. So let's start with the basics of freezing. So you're going to start by prepping your veggies by cleaning them thoroughly and then cutting them to the appropriate size. Some of them you're going to prep before you blanch them. And others of them you're going to do after you blanch. Like say corn, you may blanch it and then take it off the cob. So blanching is just scalding the veggies in some boiling water or steaming them for a quick minute um, just to clean the surface of the dirt and the organisms and to stop the action of the enzymes that cause loss of flavor and loss of freshness. And it also helps stop the loss of vitamins that happens when the veggies age. So remember we talked in the nutrition episode about how flash-frozen veggies may be better for you nutritionally than something that's been picked fresh but then shipped 1,500 miles across the country. The same thing kind of goes for what you're doing in your garden. Um, If you're going to freeze your veggies, you're going to want to blanch them to stop those enzymes that are causing that degradation of that nutrition. Now, be sure to follow the instructions for the particular veggie that you're working with. And I'm going to link some things in the show notes that you can reference. Uh, Too much blanching of a veggie is going to cause softer textures and a loss of flavor. But then too little blanching is actually going to kick those enzymes into high gear. And those are the ones that you're trying to stop. So that would be actually worse than not blanching them at all. Now, there is a caveat to this. There are some veggies that I do not blanch. Um, If I'm freezing whole tomatoes, because it's just easier for me to work with later on, I actually will just core them and I leave the skin on. I do not blanch them and I throw them into my freezer bags. Later on, when I'm, because these are the ones that I'm going to cook down into sauce anyway. So later on, when I pull them out of those freezer bags, I simply run them under some water and I pull the skin right off and toss them into a pot. There really isn't any reason for me to blanch those. So it saves me a step during the heaviest part of the tomato harvest. The other one that I don't um, blanch is zucchini, mostly because it really doesn't lose 
much texture or flavor when I don't blanch them. Um, and I mainly use zucchini in smoothies. And I know that sounds weird, but this was something that I learned from a customer actually years ago. So if you're a smoothie person, hear me out. Replace your frozen component, like your ice, um, with frozen zucchini. It gives it a creamy texture. You're adding some nutritional value there. And um, there's no reason for you to like throw away or get rid of the extra zucchini that you have during uh, your harvest in the summertime. It Trust me, it's really, really good. And there's no reason to blanch it. I literally just cut it up and throws it into a freezer bag and toss it into the freezer. The other one that I don't uh, blanch is bell peppers. I've never found it necessary. I just dice them and toss them into a freezer bag. And obviously all of these things, none of these are being used like fresh. These are all being cooked at some point. So I saute the bell peppers once they've defrosted. And I've never had a loss of quality or texture by not blanching them. Other than that, most everything else really needs to be blanched um, before you freeze it. And please don't use your microwave to blanch your veggies. Um, microwaving them can actually miss some of the enzymes, which would cause like off flavors. It can dull the color. It can cause them to degrade. Uh, it's just not a good idea. So any, any blanching should be done, um, on the stovetop. So you're, you're talking about boiling some water, putting the vegetables into that boiling water for a prescribed amount of time. And again, I'm going to link in the show notes a guide that tells you how long it should be left in there for. And then once it's blanched, you remove it from that boiling water and you cool those vegetables very quickly in either an ice water bath or very cold running water in the sink, at least below 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and if you're using like an ice water, replace it often. It should take about the same amount of time to cool that vegetable as it did to blanch it. So essentially, you're stopping the cooking process at that point. So you're blanching it to kill off the enzymes, but then you're cooling it to make sure that you're not overcooking it, basically. And then there are two methods for packing them once you are done blanching and cooling. One is a dry pack. The other is called a tray pack. So for dry pack, you just pat them dry after you're done rinsing them, throw them into your freezer bag or whatever container that you are using, squeeze out as much air um, as possible out of the pack, secure it tightly, and throw it in the freezer. Label it. You're done. For a tray pack, you actually place the veggies onto a single layer on a sheet pan and then throw them in the freezer and freeze them that way. Then you pull them out and you take them already frozen and put them into your freezer containers. So this is going to keep them from freezing into sort of a solid block in your freezer. So you will be able to remove only a portion of the items at a time if you want to put more than one serving into a container. This is especially helpful when you're doing berries. So if you have fresh berries that are coming out of the garden, you can lay them out on that on that sheet and do it that way. It keeps them from kind of freezing into a clump because there's always so much moisture in them. And you don't blanch berries before you freeze them. Uh, so it just makes sense to put them onto um, a, a tray, a, sh a sheet pan, 
and do a, a tray pack freeze. Um, in any case, you want to go ahead and label them and, uh, and then put them in the freezer. It really is that basic. Um, the good thing about freezing, again, is there's no special equipment required. So you can use freezer bags or freezer specific containers. Um, and, you know, the only other thing that you really need is what it takes to prep the veggies. So a cutting board and, and a pot and a paring knife, and that's it. Now, I know some people prefer to freeze in glass rather than plastic. That is a personal preference. Um, and I have frozen things in mason jars before. You just have to make sure you have enough headspace there to where it's not going to fill too much or expand too much when it freezes and explode in your freezer because, you know, flying glass is never a good thing. Um, and there are, um, you know, different solutions out there that you can buy that uh, are stackable freezer containers for, you know, their glass or whatever. Uh, it really is personal preference at that point. Just make sure that you um, are removing as much air as possible. Now, you can invest in um, vacuum sealers. We do have a food saver. In fact, this is my second food saver that I've owned over the last 16, 17 years. And I absolutely love it. We originally bought the first food saver when we had all the kids in the house and we were trying to save money. And so we were shopping at one of the big um, warehouse stores and we were buying in bulk and we were breaking it all out and vacuum sealing those items to keep them fresh and putting them in the pantry. And we were saving money that way. And that turned into using it for the excess harvest from the garden. And I can absolutely tell you, if you are going to preserve a large amount of produce to keep you basically going through the winter, I would totally recommend getting a vacuum sealer or a food saver of some sort. It does need special bags um, and you can buy special containers, but it is worth it. I have found that the freezer burn is pretty much nil when it comes to a vacuum sealer. And I mean, I've had, I know they say, okay, well, veggies are only good for you know, six to eight months or maybe up to a year. Look, I have had sweet corn and other things that I preserved for two years that had zero loss of quality by using my food saver. I mean, you're you're reducing the exposure to the air, which means you are reducing the ability for those enzymes to break down the quality of that vegetable. And I can't see uh, a downside to that. So um, if you're going to, if you're going to preserve a large amount of produce and really help sort of support your family through the winter, then I absolutely recommend a vacuum sealer. But if this is your first foyer into um, preserving and you're freezing for the first time, it is absolutely not necessary. So what can be frozen? Uh, the best things to freeze as far as veggies are concerned are things like asparagus, green beans, broccoli and other brassicas, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, that sort of thing, uh, beets, carrots, corn, eggplant, all types of greens can be frozen, mushrooms, okra, peas, uh, peppers, potatoes, 
all the squashes, both summer and winter squashes, sweet potatoes, tomatoes, and turnips. So what you don't freeze is really kind of up to personal preference. Like I said, we do not like green beans frozen. We prefer them to be canned. We also don't enjoy greens preserved in any manner. <laughs> like uh, we, I mean, we grow a ton of spinach and chard and kale and quite literally do not preserve any of it. I actually prefer to just grow extra of it in the late season and cover it with several rows of frost cloth out in the garden and try to overwinter it that way than to freeze it or can it or anything else. We just don't like the texture. We don't like the flavor. We like nothing about greens preserved. But there's a lot of people who enjoy you know, canned or frozen spinach or whatever. And what you freeze is absolutely up to your personal preference and what it is that your family prefers to eat. So popular resources for uh, how to preserve by freezing include um, your local extension service. There is the Center for Home Food Preservation. I know that the Ball books, um, Ball, the canning company, um, have some references to freezing in them, although they do focus a little bit more on canning. Um, but those preservation books, it's the Ball, I'll tell you, the Ball Blue Book of Canning is my my canning Bible. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but the, uh, the Ball, the new Ball book, book of canning and preserving, I think is what it's called, also has some more freezing references in it. But I'll put a link in the show notes to a really good reference that gives you an idea of uh, the amount of time that each item should be blanched, how it should be frozen, and how long it should be stored. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, now, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. And I have to say, if you are one of my gardeners who is growing in a smaller space where you're just on a balcony or in a windowsill and your bounty isn't quite as large. Freezing is honestly the easiest and least intrusive way for you to be able to preserve that harvest. But if you've only got so much freezer space or you have a huge harvest, um, then you may want to look at a different way of preserving. And the basic way of preserving would be um, water bath canning. 
Now, let's keep in mind this information I'm about to give you is not meant to take the place of reading and following the instructions by sources that have researched this over the years. And I'll I'll give you a little bit more on that and the resources here in a minute. But I just want to give you a general idea of what is involved with basic water bath canning so you can decide whether or not it's something that you want to tackle because it can be a little bit intimidating the very first time you try it. And, and I can attest to this, you know, the first time that I grew our our large garden when we first moved to the five acres after living in suburbia and having a suburban garden. Um, I had no idea what canning was. Like my mom didn't can. I hadn't seen my grandmother do any of these things. I, I may have seen them freeze some things, but we mostly just ate what was coming out of the garden. And as a kid, I don't remember seeing anything being preserved. And so the idea of canning was a little intimidating. And I read and I read and I read and I will swear by the ball blue book of canning um, until the day I die. <laughs> it, it was my Bible when I was first learning how to preserve the harvest. So essentially the basics of water bath canning, you will fill a stock pot or a water bath canner around halfway full of water. And then you're going to sterilize those jars and the bands that go with them and then check them for any damage. You'll preheat uh, the jars in your canner while you are preparing your recipe. And then once those jars are heated through, then you're going to end up filling those jars one at a time, wiping the rim, placing the lid and the ring on, and then putting them back into the pot. And then you make sure that that hot water is covering the jars by about two inches or so. You can cover the pot and you're going to bring it to a boil, and then you boil it for the time that is indicated in the recipe. Once that's done, you turn the water off and you let it rest for five minutes. You move the jars to a towel um, on a counter in a place where they're not going to be disturbed for at least 12 hours, and then you check to make sure that you have a good seal, and then you label them and you put them away. It sounds basic, right? And it really shouldn't be much more intimidating than that. Then yes, the the actual instructions are a bit more specific and um, the recipes are a bit more specific. And I will get to those here in a second. But let's talk first about the equipment that you would need in order to be able to start water bath canning for your first time. So you're going to need either a water bath canner or a stock pot that is deep enough to hold either pint or quart sized jars, depending on what you're wanting to can. And it needs to have a lid. Um, the other thing that's handy to have is a jar rack. And it's this kind of like wire contraption that you place down into the pot and you put the jars into and it kind of elevates them up off the bottom of the pot a little bit and then also makes it to where you can pull those jars all up out uh, of the water at once. Now, when I first started, I did not have one of these. I was canning on a very, very, very limited budget. So I had a stock pot that I used for making soups and I used that. And then I 
put a couple of dishcloths on the bottom of that stock pot for the jars to rest on. And I just spaced them about a half an inch or so apart so they wouldn't bang into each other. That was, that was my solution. I did not invest in a jar rack. I do have one now. And I have an actual water bath canner that is a little bit wider than that stock pot that I used to use. Um, and that makes it a little bit easier, but it's not absolutely necessary as long as you are taking those precautions. Um, you'll also just need the kitchen utensils that you use for preparing the recipes and then moving them into the jars. So like wooden spoons or ladles, um, a paring knife and a cutting board, those types of things. Um, you will also likely want to have a jar lifter. This is another thing that I did not invest in until later on. I went really, really cheap. Um, I, I used tongs, um, which was not always the safest thing to do. I actually used tongs and like a, um, a kitchen mitt, an oven mitt to be able to pull the jars, the hot jars out of that water in order to move them um, over to be filled and then back into the pot again and then back over off into the uh, the corner to cool off. So um, that tells you how broke we were when I really started doing this because those things are literally like five or six bucks and I did not invest in one at the beginning. So if you can if you can spare the money, uh, get a jar lifter. They're they're like tongs, but instead they grip around the top of the jar and enable you to safely pull them out much more easily. So I would actually recommend those if you can get one. Um, the other thing I would also recommend is a home canning funnel. So this is a this is wider mouth than like a regular kitchen funnel. It makes it easier to put items into the jars without spilling. Um, I did not have one of these also <laughs> to begin with. Um, and I was just using a ladle and kind of just kind of pouring it in to the jars as best I could. And they would have to really wipe it down and make sure that it was totally clean. Having the a home canning funnel actually made it um, much easier. And then another thing that you might want would be what we call a headspace tool. And so it's this little kind of plastic doohickey. I don't use one. I actually just use a small skinny silicon spatula. But for some recipes, you actually want to make sure you get the bubbles out of the jar. And so it's handy for sticking down in there and kind of zhuzhing around and getting the, the bubbles out. Um, there are a couple of bucks. You could probably find them. It, they're, they're super easy to get. There's actually like home canning starter kits that you can buy that have all of this stuff included. Now, one thing that I still have that you likely will not need is it's a little magnet on a, on a plastic stick. It's the best way that I can describe it. And it originally was used um, to retrieve the lids from the water um, when you were preheating your jars, because it used to be recommended that you put your lids into that preheating water for a, a few minutes um, to soften up 
the uh, the sealing compound before you were to use it. And actually, that is no longer necessary. Ball and Kerr and all the other canning companies have um, done all their tests and they found that the sealing compound seals just fine when placed on the jar at room temperature, um, just the same way as it would when you were preheating it. So it's actually no longer necessary to preheat those uh, canning lids, which is interesting. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, so when you are canning, you have the jar and you have the ring that goes around the outside of that, uh, the mouth of the jar, and then you have the actual lid itself, and that's the flat part. So they actually, you can reuse the rings, and that is what is used to like tighten down that lid and the lid you only use one time, and that's what has the sealing compound on it. It's like a rubber membrane that you that you put on there. So um, once you know you use that lid, and then you open it after it's been canned, you throw that away because it's a one time use. Now I know that there actually are reusable lids out there. I have not looked for those. I have not researched them. But after last year's lid shortage, and if you are a home canner already, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, everybody and their brother got into gardening last year uh, in 2020 because of the pandemic and the shortages in the grocery store, which means that everybody had to try to figure out how to preserve that harvest. And so people started canning, and there was a shortage of uh, those those uh, canning lids. And I mean, I actually had placed an order for something and I didn't realize it was coming from overseas. I hate that when you order off of Amazon and it didn't tell you like that it was coming from China. Um, and I never got it. <laughs> um, and now they've changed that. They have a feature on the right hand side, if you haven't noticed, that tells you where it's being fulfilled from. But anyway, um, the, you couldn't find canning lids. And so I probably should research um, where to get um, reusable canning lids. But in any case, it's no longer necessary to, uh, to preheat those, so you should be fine. Um, so that's the basic equipment. What can be water canned safely and then what can't be? So that's the only thing about water canning. There, there are some foods that you can can in a water bath canner and there are other foods that need to be done in a pressure canner. So most high acid foods or foods that can have their kind of pH adjusted slightly by either sugar or salt are safe for water bath canning. So fruits uh, that you can turn into sauces or jams or jellies, tomatoes and salsa, pickles and relishes, chutneys, anything with the vinegars, those are all safe to water bath can. And this is where it's important to be checking your resources and looking at your recipes and looking at your books and whether or not they're saying to water bath can or to pressure can. And I will cover pressure canning in the next uh, Focal Point Friday episode um, because it is a little bit more involved but you don't want to do things like green beans or sweet corn or those types of things just in a water bath canner. There's not enough acidity in them. Um, it's super important to follow the directions exactly. So find these resources and it's going to tell you add this amount of vinegar or add this amount of salt or X amount of sugar according to X amount of pounds of fruit or veggies or whatever. Make sure you are following those exactly. Too little 
of a specific additive can actually make the recipe unsafe. It doesn't matter if your grandma always canned green beans by adding a pinch of salt and she canned them in a water bath canner and nobody ever got sick. Um, they do not contain enough acid to preserve them without the addition of pressure from a pressure canner. Um, so make sure that you are following an approved recipe. And uh, some popular resources for this, again, I mentioned the Ball Blue Book of Preserving and its newer version, the all-new Ball Big Book of Canning and Preserving. My original Blue Book um, has the old standard basic recipes. It has specific instructions for how to properly can vegetables, both in a water bath canner and in a pressure canner, and then the tested methods that have been researched over many, many, many years, like since the 1900s. Um, my ball blue book, my original one is marked up. It's worn out. It's dog eared. It's got stains. The pages are coming off of the binding, <laughs> etc. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely been well loved. Um, I also have a copy of the new book of preserving and it contains newer recipes. It also expands on some of these methods. And I will put some links in the show notes to where you can find both of these. Now, there are also plenty of home canning recipes on the internet, but until you have experience and you know the proper procedures and ratios, please, please, please stick to recipes that have been tested by researchers and manufacturers, check with Extension Services and the National Center for Home Food preservation. Um, these recipes have been tested to be sure that they are safe for you. They're safe for your family and you can give them away at your local church function and not feel bad that you might make one of the elderly members sick. So um, next Friday, we'll talk about the other methods of preserving, pressure canning, dehydrating, and the very simple forms of refrigeration um, and cold storage. Uh, in any case, be sure that you are prepared now to start saving up your favorite things from the harvest. Sadly, inevitably, every single year, we always run out of our canned tomatoes before the end of the winter. It, every year, I increase the amount of stewed tomatoes that we harvest. And even though the kids aren't even in the house anymore, we still seem to run out before the end of the year. This year, we did manage to have enough green beans. I think we're on our last can now, or our last jar now, um, and bell peppers. And then last year, I actually froze way too much sweet corn. I still have like a freezer full of sweet corn um, and also a zucchini, although that's my fault because I probably, I just wasn't making as many smoothies throughout the winter time. So, um, you know, sometimes you it, it's hit or miss. You can't figure out from year to year what you're going to use, what you're in the mood for because moods change. But I absolutely hope that you are prepared ahead of time um, for what hopefully will be a bountiful harvest from your garden this year. So that's it for part one of preserving the harvest. And I know it was a little bit long, but I really do think it's a very important topic. And we will dive more into the other methods of preserving the harvest next week.
You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.